Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Brian Turner Basketball Podcast. Before we get going, I want to give a very special thanks to everyone for supporting the show. I had a lot of great feedback, a lot of great comments um, from the last episode. We were able to reach number 78 on various platforms on the basketball chart. And I'm real excited because I think we can go even further this week with my special guest. Um, I had the pleasure of sitting down with legendary Hall of Fame basketball coach in the state of Missouri, Coach Marvin Neals. Coach Neals has a very rich history of basketball here in the state. Uh, He was one of the first uh, coaches to be able to win two state championships at two different schools. And he has a a wealth of knowledge that he would like to share for for parents, for for up-and-coming coaches, and for all you basketball junkies out there. So hopefully you guys enjoy the show. Uh, When you get a chance, subscribe, like, comment on all various podcast platforms. And you go check out the YouTube page at Brian Turner Basketball on YouTube. So without further ado, Coach Marvin Neals. Kind of touch on this. Talk talk about how you grew up, where you grew up, and and the, the climate of uh, the resources that were available for you um, growing up. Well, I grew up in the Ville, seventeen twelve Bell Glade. Went to Sumner High School and uh, went to Riddick School and Marshall. Those were the two elementary schools I did attend. Um, never got any coaching until I got to high school. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. everything for me was like on the playground. Uh, I always like to tease some got some older guys that I knew went to school with. When I was in the seventh grade, they wouldn't even choose me. <laughs> I wasn't good enough to play. Mm-hmm. So I, I vowed. I said, you know, one day they're going to pay to see me play. Mm-hmm. And two years later, when I was a sophomore, that happened. Right. It's something I was the starting center as a sophomore uh, for, for Jim Price's team. But, uh, you know, athletes made, played a tremendous part in my life because I always wanted to go to school. I didn't grow up in lavishness, but I did have what I needed. You know, my parents made sure I pro- they provided me with that. I lost my dad in 1958. I just finished looking at the 58 yearbook, mm-hmm. and uh, he died in July of 1958. I was 15 years old, mm-hmm. and I was pondering the fact of whether I would play football. Because right. my uh, advisor and a couple of people wanted me to concentrate on being a student. I was a pretty good student. Mm-hmm. But they wanted me to be, I guess, even better than that. But, you know, like I said, I made a decision to play football my junior year. And uh, I played the next two years, um, next to uh, my sophomore, junior, senior year. So, you know, that was part of my upgrowing. Mm-hmm. You know, my mother was there for me until she died. And I was 49 when she died. Mm-hmm. But uh, she, she, she was there for me. Uh, <clears throat> I did get a scholarship. Mm-hmm. out of high school to Fish University in Nashville right. for basketball and academics. Mm-hmm. And I stayed there for about a year and a half. And then I, I decided I wanted to be a teacher. <laughs> right, right. So I decided I came back home and played at Harris. Right. And we had some good teams over there. We had a lot of guys that transferred of Mac Allison who went to St. Louis U. He transferred back Wayne Williams from Drake and Moby Dick from, uh, I think Moby Dick, went, he went somewhere. But anyway, we all matriculated at Harris in 1962. Right. And I stayed there until I graduated. And I mm-hmm. uh, had a good career there playing-wise. Never thought I'd be a coach. I had been turned down a couple of times when I tried to get jobs. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, this is all in, you know, made me grow up. Right, right. So when I, you know, I've always been the type of kid, I never wanted to be mediocre. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I, I taught, used to tell my players that I had one real gifted player. And I said, man, you strive to be mediocre when you got all the talent in the world. Mm-hmm. But, you know, hey, it all worked out for me. Uh, I had a pretty good career, two schools. It actually it was shine, too, because I coached the shine first. Okay. They were the first one to give me my opportunity. Mm-hmm. And we were uh, we on a state championship in 1971. I worked under Ron Coleman. Right, uh, right, who was one of the better point guards? Uh, guards and it, it came out of Missouri, you know. And uh, we had a great rapport. Um, and uh, two young guys that didn't know a lot, but we knew enough to win. <laughs> right, no, because so so I I kind of want to you know I got I got some some uh, info in front of me, but just I mean I want to I want I wanted to kind of know about what was Sumner like back then because. You know, uh, the, the one of the hot stories right now you heard when you cut on the news mm. is that, you know, they're, they're making changes or the possibility of it closing. But I just think that that's like, you know, that's like a, a punch in the gut just to know mm. that a school like Sumner would be even on somebody's mind as, as far as closing down. But just if you can kind of talk a little bit and take mm-hmm. like the people that are listening, the uh, what, what was it like at, at Sumner? Because uh, if you if you even look out at I think it's the library at Sumner. And you just look at the campus like that. I, I just imagine back then was just a beautiful campus when you incorporate, you know, uh, Turner Middle and Sumner and just mm-hmm. that whole campus right there. So, so can you just speak on that just a little bit? Well, actually, I'm going to c- correct you on one thing. Turner Middle was uh, Stowe Teachers College, which was the f- the black college for teachers. OK. Before integration, they integrated the, the Harris Stowe integrated in 1954 based upon the Brown versus Topeka. And um, so Turner Middle, when they switched all the the, the students at Harris, uh, so they sent them down to Harris and then they closed Turner Middle and made that, uh, I mean, closed Stowe and made it Turner Middle. And then you had the uh, the school across the street that were for the disabled children. Uh, and then you had something in the historic Ville area. Well, Sumner, well, I mean, I'm partial because I graduated. Sumner to me was the, was the best high school uh, in the city of St. Louis, mm-hmm. bar none. <laughs> I know you went to right. both, right? bar none. But we all got great educations. <laughs> we had great teachers. You know, I was looking, as I said, you know, 58 yearbook. And when I looked at where some of the, the background of some of the teachers and administrators that we had at that time there, along with Washington Tech and Vashon, they were overqualified. You know, those some of those guys, people had studied in overseas, and mm. I was listening to one of the assistant principals. He actually graduated and got his master's or something from Harvard University. Now, we're talking about before 1920. Right. So, you know, we were very much, I mean, I never thought that we didn't get a good education. I know I was in an advisory group. About 30 people were in that advisory, and every one of us got a, got a college education, and some got PhDs. Mm-hmm. So, you know... um, I, I, my hat's off to Sumner, but you know one thing that would, would kind of disturb me? I worked at Sumner as assistant principal. Mm-hmm. The one thing that has happened in the St. Louis public system, uh, except for maybe maybe Vashon, they don't have people that have history with Sumner. Most of them don't really know the history of Sumner High School. Mm-hmm. They know it was the oldest school west of the Mississippi, but as far as the background, the teachers, you know, the administrators, uh, I mean, you know, some of the people that came out of Sumner High School and made it real big. Um, so 
you know, I, I would like to have seen more people that had some history at some. Now, in terms of the closing, number one, there are no children in the Ville. For whatever reason, they closed every middle school that fed in the summer. Now, it's kind of hard to say you're going to heat that big building and do all the things you have to do with 193 students. Right. Now, I've had some conversations with some of my friends that uh, I, I respect a lot. And I just think that uh, one thing, we allowed some of the schools not to have any programs. Now, you, to, you know, you, you, you have to have programs to attract anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and then most of a lot of us who uh, who came out of the Sumner area, when we grew up and we got better jobs, we moved elsewhere. Right. And so our kids went to the county. If you notice, some of the county schools are flourishing where the black schools used to flourish. Right. For example, you know, when you look at how many when you were in high school, how many black students did you know at Shamana? Not it wasn't that many. You yeah. Know. John Burroughs. <laughs> you know, it, it, it wasn't that many. Yeah. Right. Right. But see, a lot of those, if you go back to the, see, I played basketball at something in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, my last year, I played six months in the 60s. I graduated in June 1960. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the public high league, when you played and even before we flourished, I mean, I knew nothing about the Normandy Christmas tournament when I was in high school because the St. Louis Christmas tournament was was the, the driving force. Right. I mean, right. we had St. Louis U high in it. We had a, the, the whole Catholic conference, and we had a heck of a, a tournament during the holiday. I didn't know anything about Normandy, <laughs> you know, until I started coaching, really. <clears throat> yeah, and, that, but, and, that's, um, and that's some of the, uh, just looking back, and <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> that's some of the things that uh, I was looking at just, you know, when you, when you had games against like a, I think it was your senior year, it was a three-way tie in the PHL. And he right. ran out against Beaumont and scored 39, almost 40 points, just putting up big numbers. But just to, the, the mindset of all of those schools back then were, I mean, you were you were looked at as being one of the top teams in the state of Missouri. If you come. Oh, out yeah, of, we had well, yeah. we had a great we had a great program in Sumner. We had a great program in Sumner. I mean, some of the guys that came out of that program, I mean, a lot of people. You know, he's, he's deceased now, but one of the guys, when I went to Sumner in 1956, one of the guys that I kind of was one of my role models was Ed Crenshaw. Mm-hmm. And, Ed, you know, a lot of people know Ed from coaching at U-City, but Ed was one heck of a player. And uh, Ben Bummery, who uh, was the older brother of Grace Bummery, the opera singer. And uh, those are the kind of people, S.O. Bester, you know, Tommy Wellesby, uh, Al Abrams, the first black to ever play, uh, get a scholarship to the University of Missouri athletic scholarship. You know, so we had all those guys to look up to when we got to summer. So we knew nothing about being mediocre, especially in basketball. And then we had one of the great coaches of all time, and that was Mr. James E. Price, who's no longer here either. But he was he was my coach, John Algy. You know, we had great coaches. We had great teachers. Um a couple of years ago, they they um, the alumni association honored me, and I don't like to talk about me too much. But one of the things I said is that when I went to Sumner, I had some of the best teachers that could. I had some of the best coaches. Uh, me and another guy used to talk every morning, and he he was a McBride person, and mm-hmm. and he was you know, and I was telling I said you know I don't think I could have got a better education. Uh, then what I got, now I have a doctorate, but nobody knows about it because I don't brag about it. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But I got it after I actually retired. Mm-hmm. I promised my mother I would get one. Right. Completed, brother. I started it. You right. know. 
No, mm-hmm. and, and so let's let's kind of make that 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 transition as far as you know, with, with coaching is all about adjustment. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about adjustments in the game, but mm-hmm. let's talk about like adjustments in life. How how did you kind of talk about a little bit making that transition and or or that adjustment from uh graduating from Harris and then making that transition to decide, hey, let me let me get into education or let me get into coaching mm-hmm. as a form of giving back. Well, one of the things that happened, see, when I went to Fish University, which at the time, I guess between Fish and Howard, they were the two best academically among the black colleges. And um, when I went, I actually started out to be a dentist. But then what scared me and intimidated me was the fact that how much it cost to go to med school. Mm. My hair was right across the street from Fisk. So I interacted with a lot of guys and girls from, from Meharry. And um, I said to myself, now, you know, to, to pay this tuition to go to med school when I graduate from when, when I graduate from Fisk, I said my mother didn't have that money. My mother was uh, worked in the, at Famouson Bar. Mm-hmm. And that was about the only job I ever knew to have because she didn't start working until I was in the second grade, 1949. And um so I said, well, what what is what occupation can I go into? I thought about law. Well, same thing. You know, law school costs a lot of money. So what happened was Billy Key, the late Billy Key, was the uh, coach at Harris. And uh, so when I got, when I when he found out that I was back home uh, that summer, he came over to my house on Belglade and we sat up in the living room. Because I grew up in two rooms, mm-hmm. a, a kitchen and a, a utility bedroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this was in the spring of the year, so it was warm. So I had a third room that we could go to. My dad and I used to bring up wood and and, and set, uh, we had a wood burning furnace, not furnace, but a fireplace. Okay. And that's where we would, uh, you know, congregate on the weekends. And uh, and, and we, the TV was in there, so we couldn't. We didn't do too much TV watching in the daytime right. during the week because it was too cold in there, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, you know, Billy Key came by and talked to me and uh, everything. And my mother said, Marvin, you, you might want to go there. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that much money. Then I, I got the government loan. I didn't have to pay anything. And, and a lot of the guys that I played with, played against in high school were there. Press Vanderford, uh, as I say, Moby Dick, John Reed, Wayne Williams. Um, Wilbur McAllister, uh, and those guys were all at the Harris. I said, well, shoot, I guess I, this is not a bad place. So actually, um, I went to Harris and, uh, and, and I enrolled in what they, they had at that time. They had the junior college and the teacher's college. So I just okay. enrolled in the junior college to make sure that this is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, so when it came time in 1963, when the junior college moved over to Roosevelt, and we had to make a decision. And I know uh, Chuck Smith was trying to recruit me at Washington U because Ron Jackson and and, uh, and who else? Uh, Wayne Williams were there. And he thought he had a national championship uh, team. And he said, well, you could be the other forward. Okay, fine. You know, mm-hmm. but when I thought about it, I said, you know, I've transferred once and I'm not getting any younger. So I, I think I'm just going to stay over here to this uh, to, and become a teacher. Okay. And that's basically what what it, how it evolved. Mm-hmm. And then when the coaching, I tried to get into coaching in '69. John Smith, who was a very good friend of mine, uh, coached Sumner. He was getting ready to leave education and go into business, and he said he recommended me to Sumner High School 
to take his place as the B team coach. Well, I, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I said, well, you know, I'm going to just forget about this coaching stuff. I'm just going to try to uh, go go back to school, get my degree, another degree, mm-hmm. and become a principal. Because I was teaching elementary school. I taught at Hickey Elementary. Okay. And then Cobrian was my first job. But I only stayed there a month, and they opened Hickey. So okay. I was the first male black uh, male male teacher at Hickey. I wow. taught fourth grade, believe it or not. <laughs> hmm. And so, uh, you know, I stayed in 1969. I happened to have been over the Vichon. I was staying in the Cleve Town. No, I was staying on Natural Bridge in the Beaumont area at the time. Okay. And uh, I was down to Vachon Center playing a little basketball, you know, shooting around and stuff. And so one of the things that happened was uh, – I went over to Maurice's Gold Coast, a little watering hole on Olive, and mm-hmm. uh, I remember the the late Mike Thomas, who I who had gone to school with me at Sumner. I heard him over overheard him say to Ron Coleman, he said, "Ron, maybe Marvin might be interested in it." And so I knew Ron Cassidy from from Jeff City, okay. uh, and uh, so Ron came over and approached me, say, "Look, man, I'm getting the, the head job. Mr. Cross is moving up." And I said, uh, he said, would you be interested? I said, well, yeah, you know. But I didn't put no credence because I had been let down before. Right. And so three weeks into the school year of 69, 70, I uh, uh, was sitting in my classroom, you know, preparing for the next lesson. And the principal called me down to the uh, called me down to the office. And I said, oh, Lord, what have I done? I've worked under a staunch principal named Fred Pruitt, he, he he was a very good principal, but he didn't take any stuff. Right. I mean, even as teachers, we 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 had to stay in our rooms even when we did a record keeping day. Right. So anyway, um, <laughs> he, I mean, I mean this guy, but I learned a lot from him. I told him later, I said, you know, you taught me some lessons. You mm-hmm. taught me some lessons that I never would forget. And he kind of smiled, but he was a staunch guy. Mm-hmm. And so, um, anyway, uh, after that, uh. I came down to his office and he said, Bertrand Neal, who was over personnel at the time, wanted to, uh, he said, they're going to send you down to Vashon to be the assistant basketball coach and you'll teach special ed for a while until they find a position in social studies, which I, that was my minor okay. in, in high school and college at Harris. And I said, well, you got to be kidding. Cause see, I had been let down wow. so many times. I said, mm-hmm. this ain't going to happen. And so finally, sure enough, Dr. Julius Sticks, who I never knew until that time, uh, proved what Ron had said. And, and, and I went to Rashawn that Monday hmm. and uh, stayed down there for three years. And then I got to Soul Danger. I was, in fact, if anything about it, the guy who was AD at Beaumont at the time was Mr. Wade. He had been an industrial arts teacher at Sumner when I was a student. Mm-hmm. And he approached me after my first year at Rashawn about taking uh, Tom Stanton's place. And I said, oh, no, I'm not ready for that yet. Mm-hmm. And so um, after three so, years. So, being so a, hold on, Coach. Why, why Why did you think at that time, or was, was it just the expectation of just taking over for a, a coach of that stature and this is like your, will be your first opportunity? That's kind. Of, that's why you kind of had some, some hesitation about it? Well, you know, I knew I was not ready. See, I never got a chance to prepare for coaching. Okay. I, they took me right out of my sixth, seventh grade split in Hickey and sent me to Vashon. Right. Okay. Well, you know, I hadn't had a chance to to to, to learn a lot of things. Right. I, my first year in coaching, I relied pretty much on what I had learned as a player. Okay. 
But I, but I did know what I did not know. And after that first year, I went to work on that. Because now zone defense, we never played in high school. Didn't play too much in college. So I was really, that was a weakness for me. Okay. And and a friend of mine, George Engel, he passed, he played, he uh, coached in McKinley. Well, McKinley was known for that one three one zone. And I didn't know anything but a one three one office. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I was able to, that team I had at Vashon, that first B team I had at Vashon, they, they, they're very special to me. I, 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 uh, I communicate with them uh, now. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Ernest Poe uh, wow. and Adam Jenkins, those two were my two guards. We couldn't shoot at all, <laughs> mm. but we could drive and we could play defense. Now, I knew defense, right. and uh, so we employed a pressure defense. And so that uh, all season, I said, I'm going to work on this zone. I'm going to know what to do about zone. Mm. And so I did. I remember I, it was a guy that was coaching, an assistant coach of the Illinois black guy. He wound up coaching at, uh, what was that school? Oh, shoot, in D.C., around the D.C. area. And uh, he 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 put me in a in a little corner, and we talked at two o'clock in the morning. They they had a coaching clinic down here at the at the Chase. Okay. And I stayed with him. We, we two o'clock in the morning. We were talking mm-hmm. about zone. When I left him, I knew a little bit about zones, and I brought that to Ron. And I said, Ron, this is the zone offense we might need to use. And that was the year we won the state seventy seventy one in Red Vashon. See. So, that- um, but this is going back to your original question. I, I've always been the type of person that I know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I never tried to shy from it. I see today a lot of people, when I go to games, I see a lot of things that coaches are doing wrong. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. See, I, I spent a lot of my personal money going to clinics. I went to the Final Four for right. 30-some-odd years. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I networked with, I remember one time I was in Vegas, and me and John Thompson stood up and talked. And right. the one thing he said to me that resonated even today, you can't teach tall. Right. <laughs> you know, we were at the Smokey <laughs> Robinson show. And he, I didn't think he would come back. He said, let me seat this as his academic advisor. And I didn't think he would come back. I just stood there. Next thing I saw this big old guy rumbling up to me, and we talked until the show started. Right. And uh-huh. Bobby Knight, a lot of people didn't rip him, but he was always good to me. I, I could mm-hmm. call Bobby on the phone, and he would talk to me, send right. me things, you know. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, in 81, I tried to run that passing game. I had 18 options. I said, shit, I can't, I can't, my kids ain't going to know this. So I cut that down. That was right. the year we won the state in 81. Mm-hmm. But, so, uh, no, I I just wasn't ready to succeed yeah. standing but, at the time. Now, three years later when I got ahead, when I was offered the sold and job, I was mm-hmm. ready. I knew I was ready then. But just so hearing some of the that things down. that hearing some of the things that you talk about, Coach, it kind of just takes you back even to those those uh, original schoolyard days when you just you didn't want to be mediocre. You said, "Yeah, you know, that's true. I'm gonna spend my time in the summertime honing mm-hmm. my skills because if 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 something come up, I want to be prepared for it, no matter yep. no matter what." But you know, and and it's and it's funny that you say that because you know one thing that I look at even something like this is you know you can always update and get better with whatever whatever skill you're trying to improve on you can always yep. fine tune it mm-hmm. even this is an example of it right now like you know by by having a lot of outlets kind of shut down for us uh in the summertime mm-hmm. and leading up i said you know let me reach out to to coaches and and get feedback from them just from just having a conversation that we can probably or i can probably learn a lot more from mm-hmm. than maybe going to a clinic because i can 
specifically talk to them, you know? So Right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I'll tell you what, going to clinics was, was very invaluable to me. It was mm-hmm. very valuable to me uh, in the sense that I met people. Right. There were some guys, we all, we met in Seattle, Washington in 89. And until the both of them are gone, they were from one with some provinces. In fact, he coached Marvin Barnes in high school and okay. then went to Providence when Marvin Bourne went to, well, that was Jimmy Adams, who was a very great athlete at, at uh, uh, what was it, Rhode Island, one of them schools out east. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, then John, uh, Marshall, Marshall uh, Adams. And uh, so when I, uh, you know, met those guys in Seattle and we bonded and for the next umpteen years, we met each other at the final four. In fact, Marshall came in and, um, Stayed with me off. He would come in early. Now, he was the one got me working in Notre Dame. So I worked Notre Dame's basketball camp for several years. Okay. Then I got Rudy Perry, who was my assistant, and we would work uh, Notre Dame's camp every year. Hmm. And uh, and so I learned a lot. Then you you can't beat networking with people. Absolutely. You know, you, 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 you know like I'm going to give you a little story. <laughs> when I said by mediocre, <clears throat> after my just, I didn't think I had any, any real talent in basketball. My friend, I, I thought I knew was I was a pretty good athlete. I could jump, you know, but I didn't really know bass. That's all was kind of hard for me. So what happened was, I read the, the I used to go to the drugstore and uh, and read the paper. I never bought it, but I read it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, uh, when I read when I would read the paper, you know, I would uh, one year when they when they put the honors out. I made honorable mention all district and all uh, all league as a junior. And I'm saying, huh? I didn't yeah. think I was that good, you know. And, and that really spurred me on. So I said, well, you know one mm-hmm. thing? Maybe I got a future in this game. Mm-hmm. And I said, I always wanted to get a scholarship because I played three sports in high school, football, basketball, and baseball, and I got honors in all of them. Right. But right. the point was, <laughs> I, I used to go, I had a little girlfriend. She came from my wife and I were talking about that this last night. She mm-hmm. came from Iowa and she was from Burlington. And, you know, that was a hotbed of basketball. Mm-hmm. And so um, <laughs> she stayed on Maffitt. And so uh, I don't know if she timed this or not. But what happened is I had a car. My dad bought a car and died two months after he bought the car. So I had to learn how to drive it. Mm-hmm. And so and in the evenings, it wasn't as bad as it is now. But the, the, the basketball hotbed in, in St. Louis, in a sense, was Euclid and Ashland. Um they had them outdoor courts over there. Well, anyway, okay. I think they had some lights over there at the time. So anyway, I would get in my corner even after I got through with my little chores and stuff mm-hmm. and get my little basketball and I'd drive over to Euclid and Ashland. But anyway, I had to pass her house. And it seemed like every time I'd pass her house, she'd be sitting on the on the porch or okay. sitting on the steps. And I said, I think she didn't tie me. So she told me one day, she said, you know, one thing, you're going to marry a basketball. I was on my way over to Euclid National so I could horn my skills. I couldn't, I had no left hand. Mm-hmm. I could drive a little bit with my left. So I worked on my left hand, starting from walking down the floor, dribbling with my left and shooting a layup. Right. And so I, mean, I got that together that summer, working on my jump shot and mm-hmm. uh, in other phases of the game, you know. And so I was kind of ready for my senior year. And uh, cause I did make all, I made some honors. I was third team district in my senior year and I made a uh, uh, first team all public, public high league. And uh, that's when they only had, they, I think they had five or six men on that team. 
But they, they they not like today. You know, everybody makes something today. Yeah, it's know? like 15 kids <laughs> that they, they, they get to, you know, that they have uh, you know, something for. But not but that's funny that you said that because you know, uh even the conversations that I had with people and I asked them like what what was what what drove them to get better at basketball? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, a lot of times, you know, as as parents and you see this a lot where they force it on their kids more for for them, and the kids right. may not even love it. And so, right. it's it's all about what drives you. I know, even me mm-hmm. growing up, what drove me was just like what you said. I didn't want to be mediocre. You mm-hmm. know, I played in the playground. You know, and and this was oh, during yeah. the time where they had hoops in almost every school around St. Mm-hmm. Louis. And uh-huh. so, even if you didn't go to a gym, you still had. A outlet to play outside mm-hmm. and you can play as long as you wanted to long as the street lights were you know were up right nothing crazy would, would, would happen in that in that school mm-hmm. yard. so um so it was it's, well, it's see, we to hear, like, what were the things that they, drove they, you right Go ahead. they shut down all the indoor facilities during the time when i was in high school the summers it was outside so the mm-hmm. only only access that i had to a, a basketball gym was outside and i can see Euclid and Ashland, that's where all the pros came, the top kind. If you wanted to hone your skills and make a reputation, you had to go to Euclid and Ashland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, and, and I guess one of the things is that if it's, if you lost the game to be four and somebody held a spot and you got chosen, then you kind of knew you were on the upper right. edge out of the players, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but there were some fantastic players that came, John Smith, uh, Played in McBride, one of my very close friends. Uh, he was a heck of a guard. You know, he played down in St. Louis U, but okay. they didn't do him too right down there. <laughs> mm-hmm. John was better than the guards that they had down there at the time. But for whatever reason, I don't know what mm-hmm. why they just uh, set him on the bench, you know. Right. But I played, uh, and then the World League was like a semi-pro league. On Sundays, I played up there. Right. And uh, like that, when I got hurt, and when I really kind of stopped playing competitive basketball, it was in 1970. I tore my patella, mm. and uh, I always tell tease people. I say, "Well, I, I, I scored my my 20th point right right on in the second half as the second half began, and I never really played to me competitive. I missed around. Jojo White got me out on the court after I had surgery, mm-hmm. and uh, we were we were picking teams, and I went on was getting ready to go down to the other end. He's Marvin, come on up here, come on up here, you know, mm. and. Uh, I said, oh man, I said, shit, I don't know if I, if I should, if this leg is going to hold up. Well, it held up. Uh, and, uh, and next thing I know, I said, well, I started playing a little bit of pickup, but I never played anymore what I call serious ball right, anymore, right. you know. Mm-hmm. So, so you, you, you talked about just the, uh, the special bond that you had with your, uh, first, uh, uh, team, team. Shine. Mm-hmm. So talk right. about the first team in 1974, your first sold in team. How, how was that? Actually, team? I started sold in. I don't know. They get that wrong. I started sold in in 1972. Oh, okay. For some okay. reason, they, they eliminate, you know, we, well, I had losing seasons those years. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, you know, those kids gave, we weren't real talented. Okay. But I tell you what, uh, like I told my told Ron, I said, you know, I had to, to do, you know, coming from Sumner and coming from Vashine, we didn't, we didn't know anything about losing, you know. Mm-hmm. And look like to me, when I got to Soul then, those kids didn't know, didn't know how to win. Right. And I can recall back when I played, they had good players over there. Mm-hmm. But when when we when we showed up to play them in the league or whatever, you know, it's like we ten points up. 
you know, the name Sumner High School, that maroon and white. Right. You know, you could see it in their face. Damn, can we win this game? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, another another one of my very close friends, he's no longer living there. Uh, I don't know if you got Earl Austin's book. They called us the bookie and forwards. Nelson okay. Yates, who was a fantastic offensive player, he was good. Okay. And, uh, you know, he and I were kind of like Chet Walker and Bob Love back in the day, okay. you know, a tandem, you know. And, um, but like I said, you know, those are the kind of things that when, when you, when you, when, when I went, when I got to Stoughton, and I said, this guy, man, I, I used to stay up half the night thinking I could put something on paper and stuff and why we weren't winning because I wasn't used to losing. Right. And then finally, the next year, my third year there, I had Leroy Jackson, Johnny Third Kill, Brian Jones. He's some of the best ball players that came out of here. Right. No. And uh, I know a lot of people would disagree with me, but that Brian Jones was awesome. He's no longer living either, mm-hmm. but he was awesome. And uh, mm-hmm. that's uh, who is it? Somebody, Kenny Cade, or somebody say, This is the mark by which you measure the soul and guards, mm-hmm. was Brian Jones. And Brian Jones, we played New City. And they had Hassan Houston. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he was great. Right, nah. Brian Jones, I played him. But see, those kids, when I got to Soda, and they did not know how to win. For whatever reason, it was, you know, so they never knew how to win. And that was really frustrating me. So I had to try to change the culture. Right. And that year was when we, we got to the quarterfinals of the state. And... Um, we lost to McClure, and the kid who hurt me was a kid I had coached at Vashon, uh, Grayling Tobias. I had him oh, yeah. as a freshman at Vashon, yeah. Huh? Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, we Grayling, wanted to he's, be... uh, he's uh, officiating right now. He's uh, one yeah. Of the well, he's been a superintendent. Mm-hmm. Grayling has gotten all he went all the way up to being a superintendent. I think of uh, the Hazelwood district. Yeah, Grayling, I know him very well. In fact, I knew some of his family because, believe it or not, the best sport I had in coming up was baseball. That's all I want to do is play baseball. <laughs> you know, everything yeah, nah, else. This, I mean, just, you think about it back in the day, like this was the uh, a, a hub for just, you know, like not just all around town, but I mean, even just like what you just speaking on playing baseball, I just think even today's times, like, you know, we concentrate just so much on one particular sport. Mm-hmm. And you may, you may, you don't know what you may excel in as you, you know, you get older, but we, we played everything, you know, depending yeah, yeah, on what season yeah. it was, what, what season we were in, that's what sport we played. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's why I say, you know, I had to go to work in basketball because I really, I concentrated mostly my first two or three years, years in high school. I call it concentrating on playing baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, I, cause, uh, but, uh, you know, I played varsity from my sophomore year to my senior year in all three sports. And, mm-hmm. uh, I always was proud of that because that was unheard of back in my day. You know, you didn't get up to the varsity your junior year. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh so so coach just with like even mm-hmm. just talking about you said you started in in, in 1972 so I want to kind of kind of parallel both so in 1973 mm-hmm. they had a teacher strike right where, um you know uh it was kind of like uh the, the coaches and even the teams were in luau of what was going to happen with their season can you kind of talk about that and compare that to what we're going through with COVID, where it's a situation where, mm-hmm. you know, we start, we may start off with a season right now. I, I may not mm-hmm. start playing my first game until January 5th. Okay. Who knows what's going to happen after that. So can you kind of speak and talk about what was going on during that, that teacher strike to what you see what's going on mm-hmm. today? In, in okay. Let me, let me give you a little, give me, give you a little background. 
that's the first strike. First of all, when I first started teaching in 66 January, we had no benefits. You know, uh, I had to pay out of my pocket my first child because uh, we couldn't, I, I missed the deadline for getting into the insurance. Okay. So what happened is that in those days, uh, the teachers got together and the coaches, because I was kind of over with the basketball coaches. Everything used to start in basketball season. And um, we uh, decided that we would support the strike. And um, and that by, by doing that, uh, the benefits that the people in the St. Louis system got, like insurance, uh, what else did we get? We had uh, health insurance. I think we got dental insurance. All the benefits emanated from that particular strike. Okay. Now, it's a little different now. Uh, this COVID thing is a, is a medical issue, and it's universal. Whereas mm-hmm. at the time, this was only involved in 73, it was only involving the St. Louis Public Schools teachers. Okay. But they came up with whatever funds that they need to come up with to give us some benefits. Now, it was in the basketball season, so we stopped playing. Mm-hmm. So Floyd Irons and myself, and I think it was somebody else, we decided that because we, we couldn't play on public high league uh, venues, okay. we decided we would to get ready for the district tournament. We would play a doubleheader out at Forest Park, okay. and we did. We got that together. I think I played Sumner, and I don't know who Floyd played, but anyways, we played a doubleheader out there. And that got us kind of gave us a little tune up for the district tournament, which uh, and and that got got us ready for the district. If my memory serves me correct, okay. But it's a little different right now. This thing here is a lot different. We struck because we were trying to get benefits. We did not have to strike. Okay. Nobody forced us to strike. But in this situation here, um, this is no joke. This mm-hmm. is no joke at all. Right. So, you know, I would be very, very hesitant about, you know, playing ball during this type of crisis because right. some people won't wear masks. Some people don't wear masks. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of it's a heck of a decision to be made. Yeah. And it's I a heck I, of a decision. I had to, uh, you know, I, I had to make a decision just going into our season um, with just only playing the city, uh, with determining only only playing the city schools because mm-hmm. uh, it was a mandate that we had to test every two weeks. And so right. I got I got a little, you know, a little slack from, from doing that and it, it became like a scheduling nightmare. But at the end of the day, I feel like I had to make the best decision, you know, for my team and for my team's family and ultimately for the oh, yeah. Because yeah, we don't want to look mean, up, and I don't want to have the basketball team be the reason that our school was shut down. Oh yeah, so yeah. Well, see, if you, we you got to modify our schedule. Then mm-hmm. you know, I feel like if we can get maybe ten or twelve games out of this season, and kind of have the kids play to have an outlet, then that, that's fine mm-hmm. with me. But yeah, I'm not. You know, I just I couldn't risk it too much to you know to try to have too much going on during this time. Right. I don't blame you. I mean, you, I think you're on the right path. Mm-hmm. I think if I was coaching, I probably would have shut down too. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, you, you really don't want anybody to get, get this COVID. I've had two people that I've known real personally that die of COVID. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of, it's kind of scary. It's right. kind of, cause like I was telling somebody the other day, I said, you know, the one thing, I mean, I like, I still support high school sports. Mm-hmm. I'm probably one of the few guys that you may see at a high school game, especially in the PHL, because this is not the same as it was before. Right. You know, but I still go to I still go to some of the games. And this year I never went to a football game. Mm-hmm. You know, uh 
because I like to go to football games and right. and basketball. I definitely like to go see basketball right. games. Right. And look like that ain't gonna, that's not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, I live I live very close to Dismith and CBC. Mm-hmm. So you know, I would sometimes I go over there. Sometimes I go to Parkway. You know, and then I still, my loft is still in the city. I still, yeah, no, no matter that, how bad it is, <laughs> I uh, I still try to support my my soul damn team and even right. Sumner, you know, and mm-hmm. then Metro because Ron's coach in Metro. Right, but, right. Uh, no, nah, and that's something that you that you say. I think a lot of the PHL guys, no matter where we decide to coach at or, you know, mm-hmm. our careers take us, it's just something about the PHL in the city that, I mean, we mm-hmm. just stay loyal to, like, you know, no oh, matter yeah. what. So yep. um, you got that right. Yeah. And so kind of transitioning from that, let's let's kind of just talk about ways that, you know, and you can kind of talk about now and even when you play uh some of the ways you kind of stay positive uh, through like wins and losses, you know, like we, we talked about earlier that sometimes we may stay up all night kind of, mm-hmm. you know, frustrated over a, a game or a rotation or a play that we didn't call. So uh, for coaches that are listening, what, what are some of the things that we can do to stay positive if our team uh, didn't play well that night and we have to, you know, kind of move? Well, forward? you know, I, I, one theory that I always kind of adhere to, you you never learn anything in a win. You learn in losses. Mm-hmm. So when you lose a game, you can sit back and say, this is what I should have done or didn't do. Or, you know, you can p- kind of point it down. I'm a pencil and paper person. I um, used to, in fact, I stole some things. One of the things was from Morgan Wood, and I have in my basement two uh, what I call playbooks, uh, notebooks of stuff that I accumulated over the years. And uh, they just, the, na- the names changed, although the content didn't. When I, then, when I went from Soul Dan to Cardinal Ritter, I just changed the name of the book from to Cardinal Ritter, you know. Right. But, I, but it actually started when I was at Soul Dan. You know, I put down mm-hmm. offenses, defenses, special plays. You know, I was fortunate enough to do a lot of clinics over the country. Uh, and so I had to prepare myself and, uh, you know, and, and, and some things I learned by doing that and listening to other people. But in a loss, you can you can kind of point because you can sit down and say, if, if, we had, if we had rebound better. I remember the first winning team I had was uh, in 74, 75. And I had a kid by the name of Johnny Thirdkill. You probably knew about his brother, David, right. who played at Pro Bowl. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we my first signature win, unfortunately, unfortunately for me, was uh, against Beaumont. You know, mm-hmm. Soldan had never beat the, the primetime schools. Okay. So I remember when we were in the dressing room after the game, and I said, I looked over at Johnny. I said, Johnny, you dominated the boys. I said, what, what's, what's the situation? He said, Coach, you told me that nobody should ever get the rebound on you. And I said, and he, and he took that to heart. Mm. You know, and see what my bus buddy at the time, Yates, the guy I was talking about who passed, he came down in the dressing room. He always followed me. He treated me like I was a little brother, which right. I was younger than him, but we graduated at the same time. And he, you know, he made some comments to me and he'd always tell me some things. One of the things he said, it always resonated with me. He said, Marvin, one of your problems with Soul Dan when you first got there was that you expected all those players to be like you. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, you were a physical player. You were tough. You know, you, 
you didn't, you weren't intimidated. I mean, we played Lincoln East St. Louis every year, and Lincoln had a college team. <laughs> okay, yeah. I don't think you, I mean, if you think these guys, they had a college team. They had a front line was six nine, six seven, six hmm. four five or something. In fact, the guy who won the national championship uh, for La Ola in 63, we played against each other two years in a row. We bumped heads two years in a row. I said, say, I could jump. Mm-hmm. You know, I, the other phases of my game was was not there, but I could jump now. Okay, and I was and I and I was tough. You know, like I said, I played against a lot of older guys coming up, so they made you you couldn't call the ball. You know, if they mm-hmm. knock you down, you very rarely they may say, well, "Okay, here's the ball," but if you call it, they may not give it to you. So <laughs> you learn to 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 accept the physical play, like I said. And I, when Yates told me that, I didn't believe it. I just thought I was doing the normal thing. You know. But I told Johnny about the rebound, and he told me, he said, Coach, you told me, ain't okay, nobody supposed to get that rebound, but yeah, something, you know, of that nature. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, those were the kind of things. With, and then, you know, like I say, I always believed in going to clinics. Right. Well, if they had a clinic in St. Louis, I was there. Mm-hmm. You know, now, fortunately, my schools all paid for the tuition because right. when I would travel, like I went to Nike Clinic uh, down in Memphis all uh, every year. Mm-hmm. Now I would pay for they would pay for my fee, but right. then I would pay for you know the travel and stuff, there, the hotel. Right. Yeah, I do all that myself. So mm-hmm. you know I invested a lot of money to learn things, you know, and then I got a chance to meet a lot of guys that were like uh, I can't think of the guy's name right now. I'm having a senior moment. He was a great guard out of New York. Played on the on the N uh, C C N Y C. That Coney Island team that won the national championship and the, in the NIT. Okay. And I was having some guards. I was trying to figure out, what do I do with my guards? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I kind of asked him, and he said, man, be a guard. Don't be a point guard or a shooter. Be a guard. Then you can do it all. Right. And so that's right. the, the, the that, that I, I left that left him with that when we were in New York because they honored that, uh, that CCNY team. Okay. A Coney Island in New York. I forgot the name of it. But anyway, yeah. they were a great team, but they got caught up in the scandal, that yeah, 51 okay. scandal. And um, so, you know, those are the type of things I, I picked up. Like John said, you can't teach tall. So, I mean, if you don't, if you don't have, you're not tall, what you got to do? You can't just lay down. Right. So my first state championship team at, uh, at Soldan, we weren't that big. You know, we were 6'3 across. But I had a kid named Troy Taylor. Oh, man. Mm. I call him the chairman of the boards. And he <laughs> averaged 18 legitimate rebounds. My, mm. my wife kept scoring all that stuff. So it wasn't no artificial stuff. I wasn't him. Right. But that boy, if he got his fingertip on the ball, it was mm-hmm. his ball because he had big hands, too. Right. So it's, so, it's, so it's, it's, it's about, like you saying, just like not having the players limit themselves in what – the position may be like just if you able right. to do it all. If you a guard, be a guard. Mm-hmm. If you a forward, some you may you may be asked to rebound, but be the best oh, yeah. rebounder. Like doing whatever it takes to to help the team win, but don't put yourself in the box. Just right. enabling yourself a certain position and just being stuck there. You know. Well, I will tell you another little story. When I won the state at Cardinal Ritter, and uh, I forgot what year it was, my point guard was about five five. Mm-hmm. And in the state championship ring, he had 10 rebounds. <laughs> mm. He had 10 rebounds. Little, little Darian, uh, he's the smallest guy on the floor, and he mm-hmm. had 10 rebounds. Uh-huh. 
Coach, man, but, you uh, have so man, so much success. And just just <laughs> last last question is as far as just uh just making that transition from from public to private. So kind of speak on a little bit of your Cardinal Ritter years and mm-hmm. uh, some some of the 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 things that a lot like I said a lot of the coaches can take from this as far as uh, building a program. So you have success at so Dan, mm-hmm. uh, you take a break in coaching and then you get back with a pro a private school program here in the city. And then you transform that program to uh, a, another state powerhouse. So what, what went into that, that process of building it from the ground up to, to have that success the the years that you were coaching there? Well, you know what happened? I never really, I'm old school. So I have a, I have a, I don't have a lot of rules, but I have one of the things I had to deal with at Cardinal Ritter was that to me, if you're gonna play for me, you got to come to practice. Mm-hmm. Now you arrange all your your schoolwork, and I mean I'm very adamant about schoolwork, right. but you know you, you can't uh, you can't miss my practice. If it's something that you didn't do that you could have done, you have to do that. Mm-hmm. Now the other thing was. I had a I had a dress code, and that was the controversial one, because in those days, you know, kids like to wear their hair like they do now. Because <laughs> a lot of my former, I have a beard now, and a lot of my former players tease me, saying, "Now, coach, you wouldn't let us." I say, "Hey, but I've been retired twenty one years." <laughs> you, know? you earned so, that right to have that beard. <laughs> yeah, so I say, "Well, you know, what happened is Bill Russell was always my favorite player." Okay. And I, I kind of idolized Bill Russell. And when I was a youngster, I couldn't grow a beard. Mm-hmm. I barely, barely, barely managed to grow a mustache. So when I started, about last year, early part of last year, 1990, I, I said, I'm going to see if I can grow this beard. And so I called myself doing it with nobody knowing it. And my, my wife said, what is this? You haven't shaved or nothing? You know, then my daughter said, what is this, Dad, you doing? Uh, with this? And they kind of grabbed it's all white anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, they, if they're looking at me, it's all white. They but thought anyway, it was a silent protest. You would protest yeah, against yeah. something, right? <laughs> but I said, finally, I can do something that Bill Russell did. I, I never got to be 6'9", but mm-hmm. I can grow this beard. And uh, mm-hmm. somewhere in this house, I got a calendar. My uh, sister-in-law, my wife's brother's wife, made, you know, she made a, a calendar. And they don't. Well, she always disappears in the house. But anyway, on that calendar, she got a picture of me and Bill Russell in, in okay. August because I was born in August. Like I said, I always worshipped Bill Russell, and I got a chance to meet him. I knew all the cell, black Celtics of the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and uh, then David played with the Celtics. So I, right, I've right. been a Celtic fan for over 60 years. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So no, nah, that's, that's that's good, Coach. So, man, I, I ain't gonna hold you. I got uh, I got just a couple more minutes on here, but I appreciate this time, Coach. And I'm, hey, I'm, I I'm not doing. I'm just sitting up here. I ain't doing nothing. You, you not can take the two minutes if you want to, or or yeah. whatever. I'm just I'm enjoying it. Mm-hmm. No, nah, I just want to. No, nah, I just want to. Like you know, we kind of touched on a lot of things, but I guess in closing, I guess one thing that we can kind of kind of touch on just. Uh, being at like a HBCU, like how 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 important was that as far as being around just the culture of just uh I guess I guess I you would say blackness, but at the same time because I have a kid that's at he's at a school Texas Southern, and mm-hmm. he's having a you know he's having a nice career down there, but it was one thing that we just told him that it's it's a different type of a uh, a different world going into a HBCU. So can right. you, you kind of touch on that just a little bit. Well, he is a very, very fortunate person because Texas Southern is in Houston. Mm-hmm. 
Right. And mm-hmm. and that's, you know, kind of close to what he would be in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the schools, black colleges, you know, we are in, like, for example, Grambling. Ain't nothing in Grambling but Grambling. Right. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, that's a rural area. Mm-hmm. If, if anybody knows anything, like, it's a very rural area. Now, as far as I was concerned, going, I went to school in Nashville, Tennessee, which was, you know, that was another one. Like Atlanta and Nashville were kind of, you know, you 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 weren't isolated. I mean, those were pretty big cities, you know. Yeah, you have and, something uh, to do while you're there. Oh yeah, you had yeah your social life. If, if you put uh, was very prominent or prevalent at that time there, but mm-hmm. some of those schools were in isolated areas, you know, and and you there's nothing you can do. Jackson State, right. I mean. You know, I'm not. But Ron went to Jackson State one year, and uh, but I know in Nashville, you uh, it was like um, you know, you had things. You had a movie right across the street from the, from the college campus that I went mm-hmm. to. Then you had clubs, you know, right. down the street, and then Tennessee State was down there, and I used to live down there all the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because I kind of worship Tennessee State. Uh-huh. Uh, I got a chance to meet a lot of the great players that played there. One thing that bothers me about our young people is that they don't know the history. When I went to Fish University, I had never been to Nashville, barely heard of it, but I used to read the Pittsburgh Courier and they would chronicle the black, that was a black paper. Mm-hmm. And, and they would talk about the Gramlins and the, the Tennessee States, the Florida and them. So when I went to Nashville, I was very aware Right. Of the history of those schools. I mean, Dick Barnett, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with him or not, right. one of the greatest shooters that ever played a basketball game. They call him Skull. You know, he, okay. <laughs> Skull was, was unreal. You, 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 you know, you're talking about three-point shot? If they had had that three-point shot when he was playing, he would have said probably he would have probably scored more points than Pete Maravich. Wow. Because he that's all he shot. Mm-hmm. And, was, and some of those little gems were small. Barnett hardly got up, got over the half court before he was putting that jump shot and kicking those legs out and he would talk to you. See, black colleges were very colorful. Okay. I didn't, I was the type of kid when I went to college, I didn't know if I was good enough to play or not. I thought I was. Mm-hmm. But man, everybody down there is cocky. You know, right. they'll tell you, hey man, like this one guy I played against, you know, he uh I forgot his name. But he would say, man, uh uh you 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 supposed to be checking me? I said, uh, yeah. He said, did, did, did your mother give you permission to check me? I said, what? I said, you got to be kidding. I said, wait a minute. Then my ghetto came out of me. I said, now, you know, I got to make this guy respect me. That's right. Said, did, did your mother did, did your mother let you let, let you check me? Did you know? <laughs> you may get a whipping when you get home. I said, oh, my God. Now, oh, that, was just some, that was a culture that we didn't see up here. Mm-hmm. I right. mean, people talking. Uh, Dick Barnett was known for that, you know, mm-hmm. in your face, in your eye, too right. late, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, I never heard about. I never heard that in St. Louis, right? And mm-hmm. even in East St. Louis, you know, because I used mm-hmm. to go to East St. Louis on the weekends. My cousin knew all the guys from East St. Louis, and so mm-hmm. you know, I would go over there, you know, and and and, and to make your mark, you had to to earn East St. Louis's respect in those days. You had to show them that you could play basketball. Because right. there was a myth going around that people from St. Louis couldn't play basketball. Yeah, but East nah. St. Louis could play basketball. Well, we dispel that. Mm-hmm. You know. No, nah, no. Nah, you I had to go over there too just to kind of, you know, prove, oh, prove yeah. my, my, my worth because uh, you know, That's I had right. I had some teammates that were from East St. Louis. So oh, yeah. you know, we were able to go back over there and and uh 
you know, just prove myself mm-hmm. when I got to college to, you know, show oh, yeah. that, you know I, I'm, I'm, I'm belonging to playing this game. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, nah, no, nah, that makes sense. But Oh, yeah. I could tell you, it was the guy that um, played at your school. I don't know if they should have been talking about him. He's probably the best player ever come out of Carbondale. So Southern Illinois was, was Chico Vaughn. You ever heard of Chico Vaughn? Oh, yeah, yeah, Chico Vaughn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, we used to play pick pickup game. Chico, say, hey, Chico, we got we were pretty good friends, and I was going to summer school one year, and Chico would would come to my house. By the time I got home, I had to get the bus, and the, I don't know if I mean my car was running at the time. Chico, man, get your stuff together. Let's uh, get your basketball stuff together. Let's go to Carbondale. And I said, Oh Lord! So I get him. You put my little stuff in the in the bag, and we go to Carbondale. So we would go there. It was a, a club over there called in on the damn. You, if I call it, you probably know. Yeah, it. no, nah, it's because it's probably changed names so many times, but it's probably still the same same place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, we would go there. We would go play basketball. Get up at seven o'clock in the morning, play basketball at twelve, and go take a nap, get something to eat, and at night we go to this club uh-huh. and party all night, and then get up the next morning. The whole time we were down there. Yeah. But that Chico, now I'm going to tell you, if you're talking about a guy that didn't get all of his ability, Chico could do everything you wanted him to do on a basketball court. He really should have been a Hall of Fame player. Because mm-hmm. I I have not seen anything any of those guys could do that Chico couldn't do. I mean, he was about 6'2", weighed 190, had a good body. And they say he was a hell of a baseball player. Mm-hmm. But he, but Chico was, was, was legitimate, <laughs> believe me. Wow, wow. Charlie Vaughn, you know, that was his oh, name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was one of the, he was on that 58 parade All American team out of Tams, Illinois. Yeah, no, but see, that's another thing. You know, the young people don't, they don't, they don't know the history. They don't, see, I, I, I guess because I've majored in history, mm-hmm. I've taught history all those years. See, I, I read a lot of books. Right. And I, in, in sports books, I definitely read them. You know, that's mm-hmm. why I knew a lot about players that played before me. And uh, and 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 uh, that, that, that a lot of people never heard of, you know. But I knew about them because I'd read, especially if they were black, because I read the Pittsburgh Courier all the time. Right. So this is this is pretty much the the, the platform that I'm trying to do the same thing, Coach. As far mm-hmm. as you know, get get kids up to date, you know, parents and kids oh, yeah. of this generation up to date on your legacy, your history, and then you know, just teaching a different form of the game. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, ultimately we in education, we teachers, we coaches, and we have to mm-hmm. do our part as coaches in teaching the the next generation the game. Because you know, they may oh, yeah. that all of a sudden that you know. We we just started producing NBA talent, but the talent has been here for the longest. Oh yeah, yeah. St. Louis has always had some talent. I'm I'm one of the proponents of that. <clears throat> I you know I must say one thing. I like I said I don't like talking about myself too much. You have made me talk about it a little bit. <laughs> I played with Goose Tatum for six months before I went into education. Okay, you ever heard of him? Mm-hmm. He was the original center and clown prince of the Harlem Globetrotters. He started his own team called the Harlem Road Kings, and I played with him for six months. Okay, okay. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, I, but I that was doing the I time. Right here, yeah, it says that. six months with Goose Tatum's famous Harlem Road Kings. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, that's something I was, in fact, I never, you know, we didn't have these cameras like we got today. I don't have any momento of me playing except for the fact that I can say that. Right. <laughs> I don't know who he is, nobody. 
but you'd be surprised that, you know, like I said, we, we just living in a generation where everything is on social media. And mm-hmm. um, I think a, a lot of young, you know, young up and coming, you know, basketball coaches and basketball players are, are listen to this interview and start doing their research. You know, I think one right. thing that Earl Austin did, you know, he he kind of captured the PHL and gave us a, uh, a time capsule in a, in a sense of. For us to go back and look up the the history of some of these players that mm-hmm. I may have forgotten, you know. Yeah, I know they've forgotten all of them because, like I said, uh, I knew uh, Beaumont used to be. I don't. I guess you should know that you come from Beaumont. That used to be the powerhouse in the public college that in Cleveland, mm-hmm. especially yep. in basketball. And you know all those guys that came out of Beaumont, yeah. Roy Seavers and uh, and Harold Weaver and all them. Yeah. You know, baseball they started, was, I think they, they ended up, they were one of the first teams to, to win two back-to-back state championships, I believe. Probably so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, yeah, yeah, I know that was one of the see, things that folks talked mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you another thing is, uh, another guy, Rich should be, let me see, 83. And he's still coaching out at Parkway West, I think. Rich Rogers, now he was a Beaumont graduate. Okay. Yeah, he played at St. Louis U from 55, and I think he signed a baseball contract. But I know Rich pretty good, you know. And in fact, you uh, another guy that died not too long ago was Bevo Gaynor, uh, Bob Gaynor. You know, he was a senior when I was a freshman. He played at Beaumont, mm-hmm. you know. But I can, I can, I know that PHL. I can go back to 1955 man, man. and the PHL. No man, man, wealth of knowledge, coach. But I, all right, well, I'm gonna go ahead and let you go. I gotta head on out of here here in a little bit. But man, it was it was nice catching up and talking to you and. Okay. Yeah, tell everybody I said said hello and okay. You know, I got to get and you out here to one, one of these games thing. and these practices. Go ahead. I I helped coach your coach. <laughs> he Ooh. he was with me in the summer program, Bird, when he was okay. in high school. Okay. I had him. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, hey, I know, no, I know, because we, we talked about this a, a, a little bit. I had him on. We, we were talking about the, uh, I think the you was the assistant principal at Roosevelt. Right, uh-huh. When, uh, I think when it was like 94, and I think he... Well, 90, in, in 90, 90, I was pissed. Yeah, 90, 90 and 92, then I went to summer. Okay, yeah, so it was one of those teams, I think he, uh, he was talking about, um, that he took over, and, and they had a real good team that year. Um, so, nah, it's, you know, I, I tell people all the time that, you know, within this coaching tree, it's a, it's a, a lot of, uh, coaches that derive from maybe a couple of us.